something to prove to, I guess, doubt the world that I didn't hurt my voice. John Skelton once again insisting his sons Tanner, Alexander, and Andrew are alive. Skelton says he gave his sons only five, seven, and nine years old to an organization to protect them from his estranged wife, Tanya. In my heart, I've not, as a mom, not felt that my children are gone. This is a man who courts the media like Charlie Sheen and a drunken vendor. The only real question today is whether Skelton is man enough to stand up and finally tell the truth so the mother knows what happened. What happened. What circumstances would drive a father of three young boys to take his children away from everything they've ever known and give them to complete strangers, to raise, some secret society. What would it take for a father to do that? What does the home life look like? Is it a noble cause? Is it just? Is it the greater good? Or is it all bullshit? Welcome to Strange and Unexplained. In this case, we're looking at John Skelton and the missing case of his three boys, Alexander, Andrew, and Tanner. Try to keep up with the twisted story that is the Skelton Brothers. In the small town of Marincy, Michigan, where everyone knows everyone, Black Friday has a whole new meaning, at least after Thanksgiving of 2010. On Friday, November 26th of 2010, an Amber Alert was issued for Alexander, who was seven years old, Andrew, who was nine, and Tanner, who was five. They were all the Skelton boys. The boys had spent the holiday with their dad, John Skelton, as he and Tanya the boy's mom, and yes, it's Tanya, it's, it's not Tanya, I'm not saying it wrong for the entire episode, but Tanya, the boy's mom, were, they were going through a divorce. The couple had been married for 10 years when Tanya filed for divorce in September of 2010. So where do we begin in all this web of lies? Well, let's start before the couple split, and let's see if we can see what went wrong. It all started with John wanting to move to Florida. You see, John is from Florida. His family lives in Jacksonville, Florida. Just before this all fell apart, early September of 2010, John had recently made a trip back to Jacksonville to attend a high school reunion. He came back with a renewed fire for the warm southern state and was trying to convince Tanya that they should move. Now, before we go any further, I should tell you something about Tanya that is very important but also very hard to hear. In the late 90s, Tanya went to prison on fourth-degree sexual misconduct conduct charges. She had had a sexual relationship with a 14-year-old boy. This meant that Tanya was a felon, and subsequently on the federal sex offenders list, making it much harder for Tanya to just pick up and move. 
Now, this was all information that John knew before he and Tanya ever got married. It was also information she never hid from the police during the investigation into the boy's case. And another side note, Tanya and John had other children from previous marriages, but the three boys were their only children together. Tanya has two girls who are much older than the boys, and John has a daughter that he didn't get to see very often as her mother moved to another state. All right, so back to the whole Florida thing. When Tanya said no to moving, John decided to take drastic measures. On the morning of September 13th, John gets up early and leaves for work, as is his normal routine. Tanya had the boys at the time. She got them dressed and ready for school, and everything was normal there as well. Then her and her daughter took the boys to school and headed out to run errands for the day. By the time Tanya got home, there was a message on her answering machine. The message was from the school counselor, saying she was confused because John had just checked the boys out. John had told her they were heading to Florida on a family vacation. But just that morning, Tanya had dropped off medicine for the boys that was supposed to last the entire week. Tanya promptly calls John to see what's going on. And he tells Tanya that he and the boys are going on vacation. He also says that Tanya did not want to go. Which kind of makes sense. Because they're broken up here. They're not legally divorced, but they are broken up. That is why the school called Tanya instead of questioning John about the medicine and the vacation and all that. They, they called Tanya just to confirm. Because as far as family and friends were concerned, they were still together and everything was fine. Tanya is furious, as she should be, because they did not discuss any type of vacation. But they were talking about moving permanently to Florida. So Tanya began to panic. She then had a friend call the police to ask what she can do, which was strange to me. I don't understand why she didn't just call herself. But at this point, Chief Weeks, who um, is the chief of police in Marinci, uh, was called to mediate the call between John and Tanya. John claimed that he wanted to take the boys to Florida for three weeks to visit with his family. Tanya obviously has a lot of problems with this. Uh, for one, three weeks is not a vacation. That's an extended stay. And two, the boys just started school. John claimed that he could just enroll the kids in school while he was in Florida, but Tanya knew better, and she knew that he would need a lot more paperwork and he would need the boys' records and whatnot to enlist them. So she recognized this as an opportunity to buy a little time. Okay, so what she does, she realized that John has not left Marinci yet. And come to find out, he was actually meeting with a, an attorney in the area. And how she found out that he was meeting with this attorney is she went to go put uh, said attorney on retainer. And so he told her that he was speaking with John, but John hadn't given him any type of deposit. So now his, his would-be attorney is now Tanya's attorney. So this, is, <laughs> this starts this chaos. So like I said, all of this was just a tactic to stall John, really. All these questions and what are you going to do, blah, 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 and this and whatnot. So back at the house, Tanya looks for the boys' papers but it's just trying to keep John from leaving. She's acting like she's trying to help him uh, at this point, but she's obviously she's really not. What she's actually doing 
is she's having an attorney draw up official divorce papers immediately, which she would have her daughter serve to John. According to her lawyer, this was the only way to keep John from leaving with the boys, was to file for divorce and emergency custody. So while he was waiting on Tanya, however, John received a call from the attorney, right? So now (laughs) the attorney has called him and basically told him that he cannot represent him because his wife just retained him. So John is naturally furious, and he leaves the house with the two older boys. Young Tanner, who was just five, had been behind with his mom. So he snatches the two boys and basically takes off with them. Within just a minute or so, Tanya's daughter and the officer that was going to serve John pulled up. They just missed him. John drove all night to get to Florida. The next day, which happens to be Tanya's birthday, John lets the boys call their mother to say happy birthday. It's during this conversation that Tanya finds out that John is still lying. And he and the boys are not staying with John's parents, but they're staying with some friend of his. This friend was a woman named Hillary. John had reconnected with her during his class reunion. Didn't see that happen. Didn't see that coming, did you? As soon as I heard that he went to this family reunion, then all of a sudden he wants to move out there, I'm like, oh, he rekindled something with some kind of high school flame, right? But it is not believed that John was having a relationship with her, but that her family was just allowing John and the boys to stay, right? Because that's what, that's what people do. Uh, that day, Tanya, along with a few other family members, drove to Jacksonville and served John the divor- divorce papers, which also gave Tanya full custody of the boys. And then they all traveled back to Marinci. Now, this is, this is strange, right? So they, I, I guess when he was served the divorce papers, he gave up pretty willingly and went back to Marinci. But they, basically what the order stated was that once they passed the state line in Michigan, the boys were officially hers, at least for the time being. So all the way from Florida to Michigan, I feel like if John really wanted to to take off with the boys, he could have. Now, I'm not saying he's riding with them. Now, all the boys are probably not with him. That would be, in my opinion, that would be stupid on Tanya's part to allow all the boys to ride with John. But I'm just saying, if there was one final ditch effort to to run away with them, this was it, okay? Which he did not do. I don't know how they rode back to Marinci, but the whole family made it back to Marinci. So when they arrive back in Michigan, Tanya takes her things and moves out of John's house. The boys were living with their mom in her daughter's house, which was only about two and a half blocks from John's house. So they could actually see each other's houses. So for the next few months, Tanya, John, and the boys all went to counseling to see if there was any way they could reconcile this. Tanya says she only went to the meetings to keep the peace with John. She was not interested in repairing their marriage. She had lost all faith in John and did not believe she could ever trust him again. John, however kept begging they move back in together and be a happy family. But again, the week before Thanksgiving, John had made a decision that would seal his own fate. John sat the three young boys down 
and told them all about Mommy's past and how she spent time in jail. Tanya was furious, obviously, and had decided to limit John's time with the boys. Now, you see this a lot, right? In divorced couples, especially right after a divorce, when they're sharing time, when they have their time, there's I think it's just only natural, and kids pick up on it, even the little, littlest subtleties of negativity towards your, your ex or you know, their mother or their father that you're, that you're talking about. They know that they pick up on the littlest subtleties of negativity, but that's not what this was. John actually came out and spilled this whole thing only now, right? After Tanya cuts him off completely, after there's no hope in saving anything, now he comes out and tells the boys, right? But Tanya's attorney told her it would look good to the judge if she let John have some visitation with the boys because she wanted to limit John's time to nothing, pretty much. She thought that that was unfair. She had, you know, done her time. She had, she had served that. That was in her past, and she was trying to move past it, so she thought that was unfair. But she also thought, at this point in time, it may be better to listen to her attorney and show a little more compassion. So Tanya's at- attorney told her it would look good to the judge if she, she let John have some visitation with the boys. So against her better judgment, Tanya worked it out with John that he would get the boys on Wednesday evening. After they had spent the day with Tanya's parents, he would pick them up and return them Friday by 3 p.m. Tanya dropped the boys off at her parents' house Wednesday morning before heading to work, and that would be the last time she ever saw them. So Friday rolls around, and around noon, Tanya decides to call John and ask if she can pick the boys up early. I'm thinking at this point in time, some kind of mother's intuition was kicking in, and maybe she was like, I need to make sure them boys are okay, right? So John tells Tanya they are not home right now, and that they went and visited a friend. But Tanya can see John's car in his driveway. Dope! We live down the road from her, dude. When she mentions it to John, he says that a friend, Joanne Taylor, had picked them up, and they spent Thanksgiving with her. Joanne Taylor. Remember that name. That's going to come back up. So supposedly this Joanne Taylor was going to bring the boys back home at three. Tanya had been on the phone with John for a while before he mentions the fact that he is on his way to the hospital. He believes his, his foot is broken meaning the boys were alone with someone they did not know and also that their mother did not know. Now this quote-unquote Joanne Taylor was supposedly someone John had helped on the side of the road when he was working as a truck driver. He claimed she and her family broke down and he helped them get their car running again and it started a friendship. Does that sound like the type of people you want to give your kids to? I mean... How often have you, have you stopped and helped someone side of the road or at least stopped to check on someone or, you know, just talk to a stranger in line for any period of time? You, you know how well or how, uh, how not well you get to know someone in that amount of time. Even if you spent all day with them, that's still no reason to give your kids to them or to trust them with your children. It's just, it's just absurd, like right off the bat to me. 
but he claims that she and her family broke down and he helped them get their car running again. Joanne Taylor had friended Tanya on Cafe Mom, a social media site for moms, months before all of this happened. So Tanya, at the time, had thought Joanne was someone real. But it turns out, John was Joanne. He had set this up, and he had made a fake social media account and friended Tanya, probably in hopes of getting information out of her. Okay, so back to that day, Black Friday, 2010. After hearing John is in the hospital, and the boys are with someone she doesn't even know, this sends Tanya into a panic, naturally. So per advice from her attorney, Tanya waits until after John's 3 o'clock deadline to call the police. Tanya calls the police at 3.01 p.m., explaining the severity of the situation, how John had taken the boys before and now was refusing to give them back. When Tanya's sister tried to enter John's house, they found that the door was purposefully blocked and they could not get in. Now in a frenzy, Tanya calls the hospital to find out what was really going on, and because they were not yet legally divorced, the nurse told Tanya why John was at the hospital. The nurse said John had come in and said he tried to hang himself and fell and thought his foot was broken. John at this point keeps claiming that Joanne has the kids and he does not have her number with him. Are you serious? Why would you not have the contact information of the person who has your children? Why? A phone number, an address, a social media account, nothing? That That just blows me away. So when the police entered John's house, they found that the dishes were smashed, the cabinets were overturned, and the mattress on the bed had been stabbed repeatedly with a knife. It was clear that John had gotten angry and destroyed everything, and not to mention the boys were nowhere to be found. Everyone begins to fear the worst. What was also clear, the apparent suicide John was talking about to the police, they believe he botched it on purpose. An error alert was raised by 11 p.m. on Friday night. The FBI had taken over Marinci by Saturday morning. Now, as you know, the FBI is not messing around. And with this being 2010, the first thing they're going to go to is some cell phone records. There was a mountain of evidence against John Skelton, including a search for neck breaking on his computer. Also today, something new that came out of court and outside of court, the chief of police in Morency told us about the cell phone records of John Skelton. On the morning in question, when they believe the boys disappeared at 419 in the morning, John Skelton's cell phone was at his house. And then it started sending out pings at 423. The chief says, He was on the move at 5.02 a.m., still on the move in an area near the Ohio-Michigan border. That's where police say they believe the bodies were dumped. So along with the cell phone data, police searched John's computer and found that the night before the boys went missing, he had searches in his history that said things like, quote, does rat poison kill children? End quote. End quote. Can you break someone's neck with your hands? End quote. He said the searches were done because the boys asked him those questions. Here's a interview that he did with WXYZ Detroit Channel 7 
where they asked him point blank about some of the searches on his computer. Your family released the search warrant return from your home the day that the boys were declared missing. And in that search warrant, it said that there was ropes and a noose found in your house, along with a lot of bleach and cleaning products. What exactly were those products for, and why was there a noose in your house? You're saying you did not hurt the kids with that noose? I did. They never even saw that. Okay, and they you never saw it at all. Did you say that was for a project? Yes. Can you describe the project at all? No. Also, in addition to those searches, they found a post on his Facebook account that read, I love my wife dearly. May God and Tanya forgive me. It was also around this time John called the pastor of his church in Marinci, and what he said to her was not only odd, in my opinion, but also quite telling, given the context and who he was speaking with. And that's when he said to me that there was a big blank spot in his brain. It was like a big dark hole. He didn't know that he was Those first conversations were followed by a bizarre phone call from Skelton. Pastor Donna was still in the hospital, but in a room where family had gathered, along with an FBI agent. That's when she says Skelton called and told her in an angry, impatient tone he had taken the boys home. Not back to his ex-wife Tanya, not to a relative, but that he had taken them home, and that the pastor, of all people, should know what he meant. You came to the conclusion then, those boys are no longer with us. In my head. In my head. And of course, John had a rebuttal. Oh, yeah, well, the, the FBI and, and, and uh, Donna uh, were into that tune and they would not listen, they wouldn't leave me alone. So uh, I let them go on their rant. So it's not true? Oh, absolutely not. So why does one do all of this? Why would anyone in their right mind just hand their kids over to someone they don't even know? Again, John brought up Tanya's history. And John claims the boys had previously came to him and told him their mom was, quote, sexing them. Not sexting. They don't have phones. They were just kids. But sexing. He believed that Tanya was mentally, emotionally, and sexually abusing her own sons. John claims he made several attempts to report Tanya to the police, but they would not take his statement. There is no evidence to substantiate John's claims. John said he gave the boys over to Joanne because she had been part of an underground group that, quote, 
relocates people in less than legal ways. He says he felt he had exhausted all other means to protect the boys, and he thought this was his only hope. Now since the investigation, John's story has changed many, many times over the years. At first, he said he gave the boys to an unknown underground group, right? Then John says he gave them to the Amish, as there are a lot of Amish communities in the area. This lead was investigated thoroughly. However, nothing has ever linked the Amish to the Skelton children. Many local Amish communities were questioned, not only if they knew anything about the Skelton children, but if they knew anything about the Amish doing anything of this sort ever. And all of them said there's no way. Because the Amish communities are small, they're tight-knit. It would be hard to hide three new children in this community without raising questions. And the idea that an entire community would hide three children for some stranger just doesn't seem right to me. Skelton now says he has doubts about the alleged group he gave his kids to. They could have just been duped. They could have just scanned me and took my kids. I don't know. But he is staying true to this story, and it's almost, uh, it's, it's Tanya versus John. And John's family believes John um, because of Tanya's checkered past. This is John's parents speaking with the news after a meeting they had with him in prison. Did you ask where? Yes. And he would not tell me. Nor nor did we want him to tell us. Nor did we want him to tell us. Why? Because he took those boys out of harm's way. And I respect my son. He loves his. He loves his children. And I respect my son for doing just that taking his boys out of harm's way his uh he's got he went to the authorities in morency they ignored him and wouldn't do anything to help him and so he did what he felt he had to do but of course tanya and her family as well as local police do not believe him and at this point are starting to fear the worst Again, I'm Larry Weeks, I'm the police chief here. Uh, just have a few things to share with you today. Uh, begin with, as you all know, early on in this investigation, uh, I made a statement indicating there wouldn't be a positive outcome. Since that time, uh, John Skelton, through his parents, uh, made statements that the boys were with an organization. And uh, he also made statements in court indicating as such. Couple that with the unconfirmed reports of sightings with the boys, we've seen false hope continue to grow. And based on information we've collected throughout the entirety of this case, meeting with the investigative task force on the 19th of this month, and after making an assessment of where we're at, it was determined that from this point forward, this is no longer a missing persons case, but a murder investigation. My point of making this a public statement, um, there's multiple reasons for it, is I saw the false hope grow, my concern is the spring coming, 
people would not be focused on the possibility that those boys are out there. And as farmers go back to their fields, as campers go back to their campgrounds, I need the people in this region thinking that there's a possibility that they're out there and they might be the one to find them. It wasn't until December 15th of 2017 when there might be a break in the case. In Missoula, Montana, a development that might crack the Skelton case wide open happens near nearly 1,800 miles west of the town of Marinci. Here are the remains of three young children that were around the same age as the boys when they went missing were found in a building in the backyard of a rental house. It was children's bones and also teeth. Would this finally be the closure everyone keeps talking about? Would Tanya finally know the truth? And would John's darkness finally come to light? It's not a happy ending, as Tanya spoke about in, in some interviews, but it would be some sort of resolution for the family. Especially since there's, at this point, only one person who knows what happened to the boys. But the remains were examined by experts at the University of Texas in Denton. The box was found when the landlord was cleaning out a rental property where the previous renters had been evicted. Initially, Montana police treated the case as a homicide, but the remains were eventually presumed to belong to the original homeowner, who is now deceased. DNA testing was done, and the discovery was made that the bones were presumed to be around 100 years old. Unfortunately, there was no closure for Tanya at this time, and these were not her boys. But still, hope remains, right? If they're not dead, they could still be alive. Oh, a fun fact, uh, those bones ended up, they matched them to old Native American bones, Native American children that were, you know, around 100 years old. So that was interesting to find out. But even though these bones turned out to not be the boys, Tanya said that she was not naive to the fact that the boys are probably no longer with us, but she can still hold out hope for closure one day. Why, why do you think he's even doing this? I don't know why, but... to hurt me. But for now, the boys stay lost. Questions go unanswered and time slips by. Jeremy Brewer was the lead investigator. Now he visits John on a regular basis, trying to get information from him on where the boys are. John still sits in Bellamy Creek Correctional Facility and is up for parole November of 2020. If you have any information regarding this case, please contact Investigator Brewer at 517-636-0689. If you want more on this story and want to hear some in-depth interviews and conversations with many of the parties involved in this case, I sincerely ask you to check out the podcast Shattered Black Friday. It's hosted by Jeremy Allen. It is a fantastic breakdown of this case. Every phone call, every interview, every audio that's out there has been utilized or in uh <laughs> organically recorded by Jeremy Allen and the, his his newsroom that created this podcast. It's, it's the end-all, tell-all of everything we know about this case so far. He and reporter Sandra Ali 
dive deep into this family and uncover all they can to shine light on the Skelton boys, hoping one day to know what really happened. So, of course, the nature of many cases that we cover on Strange and Unexplained is the fact that they're unsolved, is the fact that we don't know for sure. But what I'm trying to do with every show is give you some insight and at least give you a nudge into what happened. I wanted to play for you guys a interview that a local news station did in Michigan with a criminal psychologist named Pat Brown. From Washington is criminal profiler Pat Brown. Pat, good morning to you. Good morning, Maggie. In your experience, from what you've heard, do you believe this mystery woman exists? She's referring to Joanne Taylor. I believe this story is the biggest bunch of bull I've ever heard. I'm sorry. It is. It, it doesn't make a darn bit of sense. We're, t- we're talking about a man who he just needs, he wants to, the children to go back to the mother so he supposedly can commit suicide. Why does he simply drive the children over there and drop the children himself? Right. Why does he have his mother do it? Why does he call some stranger? And, oh, by the way, he can't even give the police the woman's address or phone number. He does. They have no idea how he even contacted her. He has no record on his cell phone. He has no record on his internet. It's, it's a bogus story. And what's very interesting is I know you read into the spelling of the mystery woman's name. What does that tell you? Well, it's curious. I mean, if, if I'm reading correctly, that it, this is the spelling he gave to the police. He said Joanne, J-O-A-N-N, without an E. His mother's name is Roxanne, R-O-X-A-A-N-N, which is fascinating because a lot of times you're trying to come up with a phony name. You will pick something close to what you already know. So you'll, you'll, you'll it's hard mm. to, to come up with something completely unknown to right. you. So you say, oh, okay, let me think. Uh, oh, I know a guy named Joe. Oh, I'll, I like a Joanne, like my mother's name, Roxanne. Very so interesting. I think he just made up the names. And that, bo- that uh, suicide attempt, don't buy that one either. How do you fail to hang yourself? Almost everybody yeah. who tries to do that can do it successfully. I think that's a, uh, he's pretending to be insane. So <laughs> that's just his defense and you know, starting to set up there. So what do you think happened to the boys? Well, it's a horrifying thought, uh, but, you know, sometimes in these divorce situations, if you have a person with a personality disorder, he, he thinks, you know, I'm not going to accept this divorce. I'm not going to let you have the kids. She had full custody. She's not going to get them back. Uh, uh, she, if I can't have them, she can't have them. So I think the police think this is not going to turn out well, but they're doing everything they can just in case, because they're hoping, right. they're hoping they're wrong, that this, these children are out there someplace, and so they're going to look for them. But if, if the father did have something to do with their disappearance, uh, the case against him is, is not good because when you look at that, that Facebook message that he sent the day before, doesn't that yeah. speak to premeditation? It does speak to premeditation, but they need to find those boys uh, or some evidence that he did something. So yeah, of course, no body, no murder, right? But all the signs are really starting to point one direction. But of course, this episode would not be complete without checking in with Lorne. Let's see what he thinks. It's time for Lorne. It's time for Lorne's synopsis. Breaking down the case like... Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lorne. It's time for Lauren's synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren's synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. 
Hey people, what's up? It's Lauren here. Just giving my thoughts on this week's strange and unexplained, the Skelton Brothers' disappearance. Uh, great call to cover this one, Michael. Uh, man, so many details that are not widely available, unfortunately, on this one that you have to d- dive deep to really find out about. But man, when you do, so many more elements to this one than meets the eye. That being said, I still think the common narrative would lead you down the road that you need to go, which is the husband did it, in my opinion. It reminds me all too much of Chris Watts. Um, after diving deep and finding out more details uh, as to the mother, you know, the, the fact that she's a registered sex offender uh, due to some stuff she did with a 14-year-old boy made me kind of second-guess the case a little bit. Um, th- some things about her don't look good, but in regards to her sons that she had, uh, later on with John Skelton, she seemed to be a great mother. There was no signs of abuse with those children. Um, and the father had all the motive. He had the possession of the boys when they went missing. He had no logical explanation for where they went. The story he gave her and he gave the authorities constantly changed, which is a classic telltale sign of a guilty person. Um, if you're innocent, you have no need to change your story. You know what I mean? You, you, what happened is what happened. And it was it was a memorable day and that your boys went missing. You should be able to recall what happened and, and all that. And you were, you had them at the time, you know, and then the fact that, oh, just the fact that he, um, he had Googled, you know, like, does rat poison kill children? Can you break a neck and all that stuff? And then his, his explanation for that, as we'd watched a movie, I knew right away when I heard that stuff about uh, what he had Googled the night before that he was guilty. Um, I have to say also, this case is just another example of uh, high school and college reunions being nothing but trouble. <laughs> I was talking about this with my wife. It's like, if you're happy in your life, you have no reason. To, you, you shouldn't have any reason to go to a reunion, man. It, uh, just, most people that are there are just there to show off and brag about how well their lives are going, and many others are just there trying to hook up with old flings or crushes. Um, so yeah, if you're happy with the way your life is, there's no need to see those people again. Just continue on, keep trucking, because I think that's where this really began, t- to spiral out of control for this family was when John went down to Florida for that reunion. He got into this new and exciting relationship with a woman he used to go to school with and started to question his own relationship with his wife. And then she started to question their relationship because he was questioning it. Next thing you know, they're getting a divorce and he's seeing history repeat itself um, in that he had already had a failed marriage where he lost custody of his daughter. And now he's seeing that happen again. He's thinking about uh, having to pay child support for three boys and, I don't want life to go on without me with in their lives and all that stuff. And then he just got really selfish. And I think he planned to kill himself after killing those boys and couldn't go through with it, except I mean, at least the, the latter part of that. I do believe he killed them and then he was unable to finish himself. And so he had to come up with all these stories and all that shit and try and blame her. He later came back and tried to use her history against her and make her look guilty and yeah, it's just an ugly thing, and it's so despicable that he would do such a thing, and even more so that he would continually lie about this and not give any closure to the families, to the mother, to anyone, you know? So, yeah, just an awful case, and that's my thoughts on it. Hope you guys enjoyed it, and uh, we'll see you next time. All right, guys, that's it. That's the strange case of the Skelton Brothers. If you guys have any information about this case please contact Investigator Brewer at 517-636-0689. And if you want to hear more on this story and some in-depth interviews and conversations with many of the parties involved in this case, check out the podcast Shattered Black Friday. It's hosted by Jeremy Allen. 
It is a very in-depth coverage of this case, and I doubt you'll find better. So guys, that's it. I want to uh, want to handle a little bit of show business here at the end, if you don't mind. I want to give a shout out to some people who have left reviews. Reviewing on iTunes is the very best way to help this show, guys. If you go on there, just click five stars. I appreciate it very much. Or if you want to leave, if you want to write a little something in a review, then I will be notified with your name and I can give you a shout out on the show like I'm about to do for these three awesome people that left reviews within the last week. Like, Danielle XO, thank you, five stars. She says, came over from TCG. TCG is True Crime Guys. That's our other podcast that I host with my good friend Lauren, who you just heard in his synopsis. Also, Ashley Hay 2020. She said, excited about this new podcast. Love all the episodes so far. Can't wait for the next one. Thanks so much, Ashley. And also, Gwen Highway Far 28. Gwen Highway Far 28. Yeah, I think I said that right. Uh, five stars. Fire emojis. Yes. Loving this new series. Can't wait to hear more episodes. Guys, I appreciate that so much. That is the best free way to help the show. If you want to support the show more directly, you can go to patreon.com slash podcast. You guys will get early releases there. Also, you will get many episodes and any other audio content that I deem, uh, you know, maybe too special for the free platform. Who knows? Uh, but I'm still working on Patreon. I'm still kind of working out the kinks. There will be more tiers added later. Um, we will have stickers for the show. So just stay tuned. More to come. I want to thank you for listening. As always, I want to thank you for supporting the show with your download, if nothing else. Guys, you can find us on social media, at S&U Podcast. Go give us a follow on Instagram, on Twitter, Facebook, wherever your favorite platform is, we're there. If you have any case suggestions, you can also hit us up on those social platforms, or you can email us at podcast at gmail.com. And guys, tell your friends, if they're having trouble finding the new podcast, just search True Crime Guys on your search engine, and the podcast will show up right alongside the old OG True Crime Guys. All right, guys, that's it. Remember, be strange, just don't be a stranger. Stranger.